today's reading is the first chapter of Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you and to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the oxen were oxen and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. All right, thanks Linda. Morning uh, everyone and morning to those of you that are online uh, this morning. It's great that you can be with us. 
Uh, it's strange when you think about it with technology, isn't it, what we can do and what we can achieve uh, these days. I remember when I was younger that um, everyone wanted their 15 seconds of fame on TV or radio uh, and now we probably just want 15 people to come round to our place for a meal but we can't actually have that at the moment. So it's great that we can have people joining us both here physically but also online as well. And uh, it's crazy times, isn't it, that we're living in? Uh, and as we start a new year, I often reflect on uh, on the year that has gone by. And uh, if you cast your mind back to the beginning of last year, uh, we're actually uh, experiencing severe drought, a uh, really long-lasting drought, and then we uh, had some bushfires that came in and the smoke was just enveloping the coast and we're wondering if we're going to need to evacuate. Uh, and then the floods came and this guy decided that he wanted to go down the main street of Tugra and, uh, on his jet ski, and, uh, which was all a little bit weird. And then this came along, and I, I don't even need to tell you what that is because we're so familiar uh, with that now. It's so strange, isn't it, that uh, this time last year we wouldn't have had any idea as to what that is. But uh, the virus uh, has hit and it's impacted uh, our lives and, and changed what we can do. Uh, what we wear uh, and who we engage with and how many people we can engage with. Uh, and it's brought a whole lot of suffering uh, to us in different ways as well. And so with these uh, unusual sorts of circumstances and the suffering that we've been experiencing, it brought me to uh, think about a little bit more about the book of Job. And uh, it's this topic of suffering that I, I wanted to share with you. Uh, and some of you might think, like my wife and some of the friends that I spoke to when I said I was going to be talking about Job, that um, that's not a very uplifting book, is it? Thanks very much. Uh, can we do something a little bit better? But I think probably some of you are, are thinking similarly, like why are we going to be going through this? And uh, if you had one opportunity in the year to speak uh, at church and speak on a book, why would you choose Job uh, to do that? And as you heard from the opening chapter, it's, it's awful, uh, isn't it? It's awful what takes place. And so I think, as you guys are aware as well, uh, the Bible is useful uh, and it is beneficial uh, and every word in it is the word of God and so we can take some stuff away from it. And uh, I do believe that there's a lot of wisdom in this book and it's actually categorised uh, as one of the wisdom literatures uh, that we can read. So... God's put it in there for a reason. Uh, I think it's important that we try and understand it uh, and I believe that we can learn a lot from it and try and apply it uh, to our lives. Now, you'll be pleased that I'm not going to go through reading the entire uh, book with you this morning, but uh, there are some things that I, I want to try and unpack with you uh, and try and condense it, if you like, into three things as we look at the topic of uh, suffering. Uh, and these three areas uh, include that uh, suffering exists, uh, because God allows it. Suffering exists. So how does justice, God's justice work then? And thirdly, since suffering exists, uh, how should we respond? So there are three areas that I want to try and unpack as we go through uh, the book of Job and I'm going to give a bit of an overview as Matt uh, was saying uh, before. So starting with the, the first one, suffering exists because God allows it. Uh, now, this first point might sound quite strange uh, and even perhaps a little bit hard to swallow, uh, but the book of Job shows us that suffering exists because God allows it. And he allows it sometimes uh, at the hands of Satan and sometimes it tests our faith in him. And so do we trust him. 
And so God allowing suffering at the hands of Satan. So from the start of the book, uh, we're introduced to this character, Job, uh, as a blameless man uh, who is upright and a God-fearer and one who shuns evil. Uh, A fairly good rap sheet uh, as an introduction for a person and his character. Uh, But what's more, it goes on to say that he's got a large family uh, and not only is he blessed with a large family, but he's extremely wealthy uh, as well. And he's summed up as actually the greatest man among all the people of the East. Uh, And so he's obviously been blessed by God and clearly he's in relationship with God uh, through the sacrifices that he offers to him as well. But in the narrative, uh, we get introduced to another character, uh, one of the angels, and, uh, and that is Satan. And here we have a discussion taking place quite uniquely between God and Satan. And we wonder where Satan has come from. And it seems quite random. And, and even God asks that question as well. And uh, he says, where have you been? Uh, to which Satan answers him, from roaming around the earth. Uh, and God wonders uh, whether Satan is familiar with a guy by the name of Job, a man of fine standing. In fact, God also acknowledges that there is no one on earth like him and is almost quite proud of who Job is. And it's at this point, Satan then challenges God uh, to release power and protection over Job so that Job can experience suffering and so that he might then curse God. It all happens quite quickly and it's here that I believe we start to get a bit of an insight into why suffering exists and how, and that is because God allows it. See, Satan's purpose of Job's suffering is so that he might curse God, which might give an insight into Satan's role uh, within it. But as we'll discover, God's purpose in allowing suffering is for our good. And we'll unpack that a little later on. We also need to see from this conversation between Satan and God that Satan needs to actually ask permission to do something to Job. And even then he's limited in his ability to do anything to him. So Satan is constrained and it says in verse 12, as you can see there on the screen, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Now, not only do we get an insight that there is a limit to the suffering that Job can experience, helping us to understand that God is still in control, but I think it's significant to realise that there's a spiritual element uh, to our suffering that perhaps we don't pay enough attention to. See, Satan still does roam the earth. He still does look for people to devour. And suffering does still take place in our lives, perhaps more at the hands of the evil one than we often might like to give credit to. Satan can be active in our suffering and it's his desire to crush people with it so that we might curse God. But God allows it and limits it, but not to crush, but actually to test faith in him. So now it's important to know that Job is written firstly to people who believe in God. It's wisdom for believers who suffer. And we see that although Job seems to have no idea why he's suffering, God allows it to test his faith in him. And at least to start with, he he comes out with flying colours. And this is despite going through a level of suffering that few could actually appreciate. Have a listen to what Job experiences uh, and note that all this takes place in just one day. So first of all, 
Uh, a group of people came and attacked his herd of donkeys and oxen. Uh, they killed all the servants that were tending to the animals, except for the one that got to deliver the message. So they took all 500 oxen and 500 donkeys. Not long after that servant gave that message, the next one comes along. The fire of God falls from the sky and burns up all 7,000 sheep and servants, except again for the one that's delivering uh, the message. Now, if that wasn't enough, another group of people come along and they take 3,000 of uh, his camels and kill all the servants, again except for one delivering the message. And last but not least, in the day that is really, really atrocious, it gets even worse, uh, another servant arrives, same day, winds come along, blowing the house down that all his sons and daughters uh, have been feasting in, kills them all, kills the servants, except for the one that's delivering the message. Imagine the grief that Job must be going through. Imagine the loss, the heartache. One of those things happening on that day is hard enough, but all of those things happening in the same day. And you might excuse Job for crying out, why? Or why me? There are a few who could really relate to the extreme form of suffering that Job experiences all in one day, but I'm sure that all of us can share in the same sort of frustration that he would be experiencing or the confusion or, or even just the line of questioning that we might be asking towards God. And yet uh, Job's faith stays strong. After all this suffering, he grieves but then falls to the ground in worship, as it says in verse 21 and 22, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What an amazing response. I've got to confess, I don't know if I'd be able to do exactly that, as Job has done. But it gets a little bit more difficult for Job. In chapter 2, Satan uh, then starts to, after another conversation with God, actually starts to inflict pain on his person and so this time there are painful sores all over his body and his wife ends up scorning him and nonetheless we're told in verse 10 uh, here you are talking like a foolish woman as he replies to his wife shall we accept good from God and not trouble in all of this Job did not sin in what he said so God allows Job to suffer to test his faith in him and Job gets it Although suffering terribly, Job accepts that God has the right to allow it. God is the one that blesses and God is the one that takes away. Nothing is outside of his control. And so it seems God allows suffering to test our faith in him, to test whether we accept that he alone is God and not us, and that he has the right to take away and to give as he pleases. In turn, this helps us to understand that when life is good, That is actually a gift from God. And so we should be thankful and praise him. But similarly, God is still deserving of our thanks and praise, even in the bad times. And so we need to be more careful to remind ourselves of that. So that's the first point. That sometimes at the hands of Satan, and to test our faith in him, God allows suffering. Which brings us to our second point. uh, That suffering exists. So how does God's justice work then? Given that suffering exists and God allows it to happen, how does 
how do we understand the experiences that we're going through? Is suffering a, a form of punishment from God or, or is suffering fair? From the end of chapter 2 and for the bulk of the rest of the book, we see a group of Job's friends come to console him and help him work through his suffering. The grief and suffering that Job has experienced is, is overwhelming. So much so that his friends actually join him and sit in silence for seven days, not knowing what to say. So from Job chapter 2, it says, When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat on the ground uh, with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, well, I'm not sure if many of you have done that, sat with your friend in silence for seven days as they're going through something difficult, but I'm sure there's plenty of us that can relate uh, to the fact of being lost for words when we see or hear our friends going through such grief uh, and pain. Well, Eliphaz uh, is one of the first of Job's friends to give it a go, to break the silence, to provide some advice, but unfortunately he doesn't do a very good job. Uh, of it. And so part of his response in Job chapter 4 verse 8 uh, says this, As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. It's not very encouraging, uh, is it, to hear uh, when you're going through some grief. He tries to put it on Job by suggesting that actually he's done something wrong. Uh, and throughout his monologue he continues on with this uh, frame of understanding that he actually needs to to come clean and, and to repent uh, to God. Now, unfortunately, Job's other friends do a similar thing in their uh, monologues as well. And so, on the whole, I'm not sure how uh, helpful his friends actually are. But it gives us a bit of an understanding of their understanding of justice. Uh, and it's based on a little bit like cause and effect. And uh, to a degree, I, I think there's an element of this worldly sense of justice that is true. But I think we need to be careful about it as well. Let me, let me explain a little bit further. So this worldly sense of justice, this understanding that human action leads to justice. So therefore, if I do something that is wise uh, and good, so for example, uh, if I'm studying for a test or if I'm working hard in my job or I'm driving my car responsibly on the road and sticking to the road rules, then what that should lead to uh, is this understanding that success and reward should come with it. Or uh, if I'm doing things that are evil or foolish, like cheating in that test or embezzling funds from my work or recklessly driving my car uh, on the road without a care or thought for other people, then that should lead to some form of disaster and punishment. And I think there's an element uh, of merit to that understanding from a worldly perspective. But Job starts to take that sort of advice on for himself and he starts to apply it to God's justice and how God works and administers justice. That actually Job hasn't done anything wrong to deserve the suffering. In fact, he's, he's done good. And for some reason, he's receiving disaster and punishment and, and that isn't right. Now, he knows and we know that he's done nothing wrong to deserve the suffering. And so Job starts to wonder whether God's justice is actually working properly. And Job starts to wonder whether that's actually fair. In other words, if this is God's form of justice, then God's got it wrong and, and, and God's wrong. 
He's wrong to be punishing him and God isn't just. In fact, the more he thinks about it, the more he starts to work work himself up about it and he even goes so far as demanding an answer from God. And he says this in uh, Job chapter 31. He says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I I sign now my defence. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. He's saying, give me the answer to why this is happening. Show me what I've done wrong to deserve such suffering and pain. These are really, really strong demands, aren't they? And uh, I wonder if there are times where, where you do the same sort of thing. But there's a problem with this kind of thinking, the thinking of Job uh, and his friends, thinking that the only conclusion to our suffering is because we've done something wrong or God is wrong. Ultimately, this thinking is simplistic and it's offensive to God. Rightly, Job and his friends end up repenting of it at the end. They're all rebuked by God for his misunderstanding of his ways, particularly when it comes to to why Job has been suffering. Because the simple fact is, Unlike God, we're not all-knowing. We don't know the whole story. We don't know what is going to happen in the future. You see, in the same way, Job never knew the conversation that took place between God and and Satan right at the very beginning in in chapter 1. You see, in fact, God has been on team Job, if you like, uh, from the very beginning, cheering him along and evidently blessing him with all that he had in his life. Well, Satan was the enemy that was bringing the pain and affliction in order to break his relationship with God. We see the evidence of this truth of God being on Job's side at the very end of the book, where God blesses the latter part of Job's life, even actually more than the first. And while I don't think this is necessarily the main point of the book, it's important to see that God chose to bless Job in this way, even in spite of how Job has spoken to him. It's only in a few verses, but right at the very end, uh, it says this in Job chapter 42. uh, It says, The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And in verse 12, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. You see, Job didn't know the whole story of of his life, whereas actually God did. God knew the beginning. He knew the devastating middle and he knew the outcome once that suffering had ceased. And the same goes for us. We don't have the full picture of everything that is going on. And so while we may not understand why we're suffering and maybe can't fathom there being any good reason for it or that it's unfair, it actually doesn't mean that it is. It doesn't mean there isn't a good reason for the suffering. It just means that we're not God and we don't know. And it certainly doesn't mean that God's punishing us or that he doesn't love us. That wasn't the case for Job. God thought the world of him and cherished him. And it can't be the case for those of us who know Jesus. Because in Jesus we see God's beloved son, the one whom the father is well pleased with, who comes precisely to suffer and to die out of love for his people. The suffering and death of Jesus is not plan B in God's determination to love his people. The cross of Jesus is the centrepiece. It's where God's just punishment for the sin of the whole world is totally satisfied so that those who trust in Jesus might escape God's punishment and be forgiven. So any suffering we might experience as his people can't be because God doesn't love us or because he's punishing us or because he's unjust. 
Which brings us to the final question. Since suffering exists, how should we respond? So if God allows suffering and it's not because he wants to punish us and it's not him being unfair, then how should we respond to that? Well, from chapters 38 to 42, God comes to speak to Job in response to his demands that Job raised earlier. And he comes in the form of a whirlwind or a storm. So you can imagine that it's not going to be a peaceful, quiet, fireside chat between God and Job. And rather than God answering the question of why Job was suffering, which I'm sure Job really wanted the answer to, he provides him with answers to questions that he should have been thinking about instead. And so God reminds him of who it is that he's been questioning uh, all this time. And Job, in fact, is about to be questioned himself. And in fact, God asks him approximately 66 questions. So, for example, some of those questions that he asks Job, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Uh, In chapter 38. In uh, 38 verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Verse 38, 34, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? You can imagine how small Job is feeling right now with some of these questions. As a result of his questions, Job gets it. God is in control. God could have answered the question why and explained that he thinks Job is a blameless man, an upright man who, has been, who he has blessed for years. He could have explained that I had this chat with Satan behind the scenes and gave Satan permission uh, to allow you to experience loss and grief. Uh, God could have answered the why questions, but God helps Job to understand the answers to questions that he had perhaps forgotten. God is all-powerful. God is in control. God knows that you are going through these things and he cares. Ultimately, this is more helpful for Job. And we see Job's response in uh, chapter 42, verses 2 and 3. Uh, He says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plan without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. See, God's power and knowledge is beyond Job. It's actually beyond all of us. Job knew it, and we should too. So it shouldn't surprise us if God's ways are confusing, particularly when it comes to suffering. He's not predictable like some karma vending machine. You do good and you, and you won't suffer. Or he's not a program or a machine to be used for our own ends. But he's predictable in another way. He's predictably merciful and gracious. He doesn't give people what they deserve, but he does give them what they don't deserve. God could have justifiably wiped Job and his friends off the face of the earth for their presumption and their self-righteousness. But he doesn't. Instead, he graciously speaks to Job. Admittedly, it's pretty humbling, uh, but he didn't have to speak to Job at all. He's gracious even in his rebuke of Job. Because in his gracious rebuke, he helps Job to shift his thinking. His thinking shifts from himself of why am I suffering? What have I done to deserve these sorts of things? to thinking of God of how I, can, uh, how I know that you can do all things and I trust you that you know all things and I don't, that you're good and gracious even when I'm not. Which is actually the point of this story. 
the story of Job's suffering. The point of his suffering was for Job to know God better. And God hasn't changed. He still allows suffering so that we might know him better, knowing him in his grace to us. And so in light of this, we should see the point of our suffering is to know God better. And so we should look for ways in our suffering to do exactly that. I think the book of Job helps us to see three ways in which we can do this and I want to share these quickly uh, with you now as we start to wrap up. So firstly, we can know God better in our suffering by remembering to thank God for Jesus. And We know that our present sufferings will not last. Knowing that God's grace and his mercy, our final suffering has been dealt with and we are in relationship with God both now and forever. You see, our circumstances might change. We might experience extreme suffering in our life. But it's not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us and the promise of being eternally home with God. And we look forward to that greater blessing to come. Secondly, to know God better in our suffering is to surround ourselves with good, godly people. These people should be happy to sit with us perhaps even up to seven days in silence uh, as well, without speaking, just like Job's friend did. But unlike Job's friends, they should remind us of God's grace and help us to work through things from an eternal perspective and pray with us. Job helps us to see that we'd be wise to do the tough times in life in relationship with others who will remind us of God's good character. We can do this by encouraging each other with scripture to remind us of God's promises to all who believe. And finally, to know God better in our suffering, Job encourages us to remember to trust him, to trust God. Trust him and his purposes. Worry less about the why of suffering and focus more on who God is. That he is the one who knows all things. That he is in control of all things that he wants us to know him and his love for us in Jesus so that we might trust him in every situation. God allows suffering so that we might look to him and depend on him more, so that we might know him better. This is certainly something Job learns to appreciate through his experience. So in conclusion, God allows us to experience suffering so that we know him better. He's in control and although we may not understand why we're experiencing that suffering, He's still deserving of our praise because he is unchanging. He is always trustworthy. He is always sovereign. He always loves us. And so we should draw even closer to him during such times of trial and not curse him or doubt him, but not draw nearer to him in prayer. So let's finish by praying right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Job and for the wisdom it contains. We thank you that you have given us an insight into the problem of suffering and how we should respond through your dealings with Job. Lord, we know that you love us. We can see that clearly in what your son Jesus has done for us and we are thankful. And so, Father, when we are caught up in times of personal grief and suffering, we pray that you will remind us of your love for us. We ask that you will bring people into our lives that will be able to speak your truths into our circumstances and that our heart will be ready to receive them. We acknowledge that you alone are in control of all things 
And we ask for forgiveness for the times when we want to take that control away from you. Help us to trust you with each day because we know that nothing is outside of your control. We praise you for this and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.